Before we get started, we wanted to explain that we pre-recorded this episode before the many protests across our nation began for justice in the murder of George Floyd in solidarity with Black Lives Matter and the fight to end systemic racism in this country. We also stand in solidarity and are seeking ways to support the policy changes needed in policing. Our next episode will be about our community's history with the police and how we are still fighting for justice for the many lives lost at the hands of them. Enjoy today's show. Welcome to Mixed Life ATL podcast. In this installment, we trace the origins of Bo's professional calling by breaking down Mixed-ish episode 19 called Dr. Doctor, and a very special guest joins us to discuss race and health. You don't want to miss his insights. As we discuss in nearly every episode of this podcast, our identities, who we are, how we are made up, are influenced by so many factors, internal and external. Mixed Dish episode, Dr. Doctor specifically confronts how environmental factors shape our attitudes and beliefs about our bodies and medicine. Talk about race having a hand in in shaping nearly everything. This one actually has life or death implications. This episode made me sick. It literally, or not literally, but figuratively. <laughs> right. um, it was funny as usual and extremely well calibrated uh, by the mixed dish writers, but I could not help but think of all the lives not lived to their full potential because of race and socioeconomic disparities in our medical system. Mm-hmm. And the Johnson's racially blended family highlighted the stark differences precisely. Mm-hmm. But when the, yeah, yeah. And Bo and the family decided that they needed to get flu shots for the first time after leaving the commune that was symptom-free. And this leads to this discovery of Bo's love for the medical field and Dee Dee and Alicia's distrust of it. So Bo discovers that she's interested in the medical field for the first time and even helps her friend Rebecca with a mono diagnosis. While Santa Monica is just calling her out for being a nerd, she's like, you're normally a nerd, but right now you're really being a super nerd, that's what she said. But Long live the super nerd. <laughs> yes, exactly. But Bo, but Bo really wants her friend Rebecca to see the school nurse for help because she's just getting, really, it's getting bad. But Rebecca is terrified that her dad finds out about this mono illness and getting it from kissing boys. So she'll be in so much trouble, you know, if her dad finds out and asks Bo to promise not to tell with the girl code promise. Meanwhile, Aunt Dee Dee starts to show flu-like symptoms, but doesn't want to see a doctor. She doesn't trust the healthcare system and says that the flu shot is just another way for doctors to kill Black people. It was at this point I suspected a Tuskegee experiment reference coming up in the show. Exactly. Um, Paul thinks it's absolutely crazy that Dee Dee doesn't trust the doctors. Um, um, but, and she says she doesn't want a doctor to use her as a lab rat and that they're a bunch of white men. That's, her, that's how she thinks about it, which is not an uncommon thought mm-hmm. <laughs> um, among black people in America. Mm-hmm. Um, Bo asks, why aren't there more black doctors then? And of course... She breaks down the history of black people's distrust of white doctors. We should say some black people's distrust of white doctors, right? Right, right. right. Um, but slaves were told essentially, like going back, you know, back, 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 back. It all started 
when slaves were told that if they wanted to escape slavery, that they actually had a mental condition right. called raptomania. That's crazy. Um, I never heard of that. Making them sound crazy for wanting to escape slavery. So that's how all this madness started. Mm-hmm. Then there was the Tuskegee experiment on black men with syphilis. The fact that blacks now wait 50% longer in the ER for the same symptoms of, as white Americans. And that black people have limited access to affordable health care. This all contributes. And there's many more bullets there. I was going to say, yeah, there's so many more experimenting that was done on slaves and black people and just the underprivileged, you know, so many this all unnamed. <laughs> If you're wondering what, you know, there's a, there's a whole books on this, but mm-hmm. this, these are some of the factors that have contributed over the, the century, you know, century, over the decades, I should say, mm-hmm. of black people not trusting the healthcare system. Right. And Dee Dee's sickness just gets worse and worse and needs to, she ends up needing to stay with the family. Her old school remedies are ginger ale garlic water for ears and mustard for sore muscles she even tries opening the oven to sweat out her toxins have you heard of these home remedies (laughs) i've heard of ginger ale but not the last two no no. (laughs) garlic Um, garlic is always a good one for colds i guess interesting um seeing her sister struggle prompts alicia to try and go get her flu shot but she just can't go through with it and returns home to Dee Dee, who is severely ill at this point. And they need to go to the emergency room, and she ends up getting an IV with meds to treat pneumonia. Paul thinks Alicia is seeing seeing her sister so ill may persuade her to see how important it is to trust doctors. And she wants Paul to understand why she doesn't trust doctors and tells the story of when she was in labor with Bo and the doctor didn't take her pain seriously. And she ends up with an emergency C-section. And they're Unfortunately, are many incidents of this, like hers, uh, that have been going on present day. Um, and have you ever had an incident like that with a doctor that didn't treat, you know, treat you well or didn't take your symptoms seriously, Toronto? So I'm, I'm, well, I'm backing up. I'm just instantly reminded of Serena Williams. And mm. Thank God for her platform and bringing to light her own experience with this. Yeah. And, and she's a superstar. And she still had to to be her own advocate. But no, I know I, I thankfully I I don't believe I've had any experiences um, like that where I wasn't listened to by my doctor. But I will tell you, I purposely seek out women doctors and doctors of color to avoid any situation like that, however possible. Yeah, uh, where I would wouldn't be taken seriously or, or might be talked down to. Because um, because I do feel very vulnerable uh, when I go to the doctor because that is not my field of study, and mm-hmm. so I make absolutely sure that I'm tr- I, I'm being treated and uh, without any um, assumptions when I walk in the door as a brown as a brown woman. Yeah. Uh, in the end, Bo is extremely impacted after seeing what her aunt Dee Dee went through. She had she does the responsible thing and calls Rebecca's dad to tell to tell him um, that her friend has been really ill and Rebecca ends up staying out of school for one month to heal her mono. <laughs> Fast mm-hmm. forward and years down the road, we see Bo receiving her medical degree from USC and the whole family in the audience, which is a really sweet moment. Yeah, it was a sweet moment. And it was, it's an amazing family story really that Bo has when it comes to that and her influence to get into the field. And I, I definitely went through my own situation when I had my second child and was just misdiagnosed. Um, 
over and over again throughout the pregnancy because I was having such bad pains. And I was told it, it was pains that would come and go. And I knew it wasn't labor pains because I had already had a child. And I was just misdiagnosed with heartburn and just not taken seriously and went to the ER a couple times and um, made it through the pregnancy with the pain, just thinking, okay, you're getting me medicine for heartburn. It's not me. It's not helping, <laughs> you know, changing a lot of things and it's just not. And um, so about three weeks after my son was born healthy, I thought, okay, this heartburn will probably just magically go away. This heartburn quote unquote. Um, but it didn't. And it actually, I had the pain times a hundred and it wouldn't go away. And, um, cause before it would, it would come for a couple hours and then go away. And it was just very inconsistent and all over the place. But this particular time was just horrid and would not go away. And when I went into the ER again, this time they, I was very, very much in pain. Um, they could visit, you know, they could see the pain and not just hearsay and really believe me, I guess. <clears throat> and they, um, long story short, they took tests and diagnosed me with pancreatitis and I had to get my gallbladder removed and I was in the hospital for four days. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, um, in hindsight, just looking at that moment, just thinking I really have to like trust myself and really say something's wrong, but it's really hard to, to trust the doctors when you go through a situation like that. So, um, I think what it did teach me though, is that I do have to advocate for myself, like really, really tough, like not just, um, walk away from that, you know, and just say, okay, sure. Give me, write me a prescription and <laughs> go about my life, yeah. you know? Um, and that's for anybody in the medical uh, who, who has to have to, to go through something in the medical system, but yeah. especially for people of color, I, I would. Yeah. I yeah. And I'm grateful that makes this shared the story about Alicia and, you know, unfortunately it's all too familiar and the rate of complications and deaths for black women giving childbirth is higher than any in the other in the country. And it's statistics like these in the black community and the ongoing plight of the black community suffering the most from COVID-19 that prompted me to include and interview my dad about this, about his involvement in the Grand Rapids African-American Health Institute and what we can do to help make change when it comes to the black medical experience in the United States. So this interview was previously recorded. Take a listen. I'm very excited to introduce my father to the podcast. He has been instrumental in my life as well as so many others through mentoring, supporting, and guiding in the community and professionally. He is the founder and CEO of his diversity, equity, and inclusion organizational consulting firm, Inclusive Performance Strategies, and serves on countless boards and committees throughout West Michigan. I felt this episode and topic would be the perfect introduction for him to participate in the show because of his involvement with starting and serving as president of the board for the Grand Rapids African American Health Institute, also known as GRAHI. Please welcome my dad, Paul T. Doyle. Welcome to Mixed Life ATL, Dad. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be uh, participating. It's all official awesome. and stuff. <laughs> I tell you. I think I've envisioned interviewing interviewing you many times over, but if you would have told me a few years ago that I'd have a podcast about a sitcom called Mixed Dish with the chance to interview you about this particular topic of African-American health during a pandemic, 
that is primarily impacting the black community, man, odds would have been stacked against me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. That's glad sure. you're here. That's and thanks for, sure. for taking the time. Cause I know you're so busy and even during the quarantine, maybe even on some levels more intensely busy, would you say? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's the new normal um, and how we do our work and how we engage um, with our clients but also how um, how we engage with the yeah. community um, is also being impacted by uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, that's definitely a new world we're living in. Um, mm-hmm. So we've all just watched the, the Mixis episode, Doctor, Doctor, where they have tackled the delicate and complicated subject of the Black community's reluct- reluctance to trusting modern-day Western medicine. So, Dad, what do you think about the episode and the characters? What do you think about, well, I think you've seen a few other episodes, but <laughs> um, this particular episode <laughs> is really delicate, I would say. Yeah, I, I thought this episode was was really well done. I could see that they uh, took a, an important mm-hmm. issue um, uh, in regards to African-Americans' uh, interaction uh, and healthcare from a historical perspective and how that is influencing our current uh, interaction and behavior today. Um, and they did it on a level that um, I, I believe uh, anyone mm-hmm. could understand uh, what the, uh, the issues are and the factors that contribute um, to, the, to the main issue of disparities in health and healthcare mm-hmm. for African-Americans. Yeah. Um, through the eyes of Bo, it's it's good because she's, you know, just turned 13. She's about 12 or 13 at this time. And it's um, I think it's a great avenue to talk about these subjects and really break it down, simplify it as much as possible, but show the, you know, all the complexity of, about it. Um, so would you watch the show if I didn't push you to watch it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, um, I would have watched it if I was, um, cause yeah, we taped the show, mom. um, and we probably would have got to it. I like how you said taped the show. The That's clip. so eighties right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, <laughs> taped or record. It's like Memorex. Is, is it real? Uh, so I'm no, I mean, it's perfect. The sure. show's but in yeah, the we 80s. Have... We talk about the eighties all the time on here. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we would eventually got to it, but I'm glad you pointed it out to me, especially now c- considering the current, uh, uh, state we're, we're interacting yeah. within right now. Well, I so. couldn't help but think of you for this episode because I remember you telling me about your reasons for getting involved with just healthcare and the disparities and equities, um, around that and the black community specifically. And I just, um, wondered if you could share you know, about that. And you've worked in the healthcare industry for decades now, but can you talk a little bit about your personal reasons? Uh, sure. Um, you know, it's very interesting when I, I, I was listening to the show and, uh, and the type of questions we were going to discuss. Um, and I go back to growing up in Brooklyn, really. Um, and uh, the housing project that I grew up in, uh, within uh, New York City and 
the elementary school, when I think about my first interaction of understanding African-Americans and healthcare, my elementary school, PS307, that was built within the housing project during that time, a brand new school, uh, was named after Dr. Daniel Hmm. Hale Williams. And, you know, uh, a lot of individuals and people, even within the African-Americans, still do not know who Dr. Daniel Hale Williams was and what was so significant about um, about him. And the fact of the matter is, is that uh, as an African-American physician back in 1893, he performed the first uh, uh, open heart uh, wow. surgery uh, documented within the United States. Um, and it was a periocardium, I believe they call the procedure, um, to prepare wound uh, within, the, within the heart. Um, and um, today, even as today, I'm an adjunct faculty at the Michigan State College of Human Medicine, uh, working with first year med students, and uh, we work with them through uh, cultural competence, implicit bias, and mm-hmm. culture and healthcare. And I ask them the question of, you know, who do you, who do you know, or do you know who did the first uh, heart procedure mm. in the United States? And they can't, um, they can't bring up his name. Wow. Um, so when uh, we entered that school and we, we basically got indoctrinated into understanding the history uh, of African-Americans and the achievements um, that they uh, had, had made within the field of medicine, um, it was my first really deep dive in understanding um, the potential and opportunity uh, we had to participate uh, in medicine, but in all types mm. of fields um, that required skills and talents. Um, so with that and understanding it and the fact that today, after 30 some odd years of healthcare management and working within community health improvement um, and managing physician practices um, and then opening my own firm to interact with different health systems mm-hmm. around the country to enhance their ability to uh, and develop a diverse mm-hmm. workforce, uh, engage uh, culturally diverse populations to increase access to health utilization of health care. Um, and enhance and empower them to um, to uh, dive deeper in their capacity to provide um, wellness and prevention mm-hmm. within those communities. Um, it's it's very interesting how just that from that one incident, I was think I was maybe ten wow. or twelve um, at that age, and then brought, winding up here in Michigan, believe it or not. Um, Dr. Daniel Hell Williams uh, retired and passed away just an hour north wow. of Grand Rapids, um, <laughs> even though he was born in Pennsylvania. And there's actually uh, a nat- national landmark um, in the house that he uh, he lived in. Wow, in Pennsylvania and, uh, or in so it, uh, Michigan? Just, yeah, Idlewild. Oh, Idlewild, yeah. Idlewild, Michigan, which was a, yeah, which is a very prominent African American. Yes. Uh, community um so it's it's yeah bizarre really it's just full circle that uh it comes wow comes to that wow so i you know looking at today and and understanding the role of the african-american health institute that i'm founding board chair of and 
the focus of that institute is to address um, systemic inequities that uh, inhibit um, the uh, access to healthcare and and to increase health wellness within the African American community and mm-hmm. address disparities um, through advocacy, research, and education. Um, that really uh, has uh, it's just mm-hmm. been apropos, I guess, that I, I'll wind up uh, engaged in in supporting mm-hmm. that organization. And now today, in which, as we know, mm-hmm. with COVID nineteen. The, the the curtain has been lifted even more in understanding how systemic um, uh, systems that we've designed, even within healthcare and in public health, has actually limit, limited the uh, ability of the African American mm-hmm. community to um, to uh, to access quality care and establish uh, a level right. of health wellness. Um, that everyone right. should be able to have. systemically for sure. And I, it's interesting because I had a conversation with a neighbor who happened to be a middle-aged white female and just was, was wondering, you know, why it was that the African-American community was being impacted the most. Like she didn't put any connection to racism around it or the systemic racism rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's interesting. I think a lot of people are actually being awakened to the disparity for the first time. Um, yeah, yeah. That they're, it's you're hitting a, a really key point of being awakened. It's like it was a. I just wrote a paper, or it was on a part of a webinar. I said it's like we were living in a mm. pressure cooker, and um, you know mm-hmm. the lid blew off. Um, by this pandemic and people didn't know what was actually brewing within the the pressure cooker yeah Um, but you know the reason their people are very awakened is because this this whole crisis has uh Mm -hmm. has hit everyone um and uh whether it's economically quality of life um way of you know way of life um and uh family Mm -hmm. family members so um understanding that uh you hear now it's going to take all of us together to get through it. Um, and I, I would say it shouldn't take a pandemic for right. us to come together to right. get through anything. But if, if this is the forced blessing of, of this pandemic, that it shows that uh, our, our power as a country is through our inclusive diversity of thought and um, ability to, uh, to, to reach out and, and collab collaboratively and collectively yeah. support each other. So then be it, right? so be it. But. Yeah. And so like Dee Dee, the character on the show, um, Aunt Dee Dee, so many black people don't trust the health industry. And, you know, they, in the show, they explain there have been, you know, experiments done in our history on um, slaves and black people for centuries um, or at the expense of, of the black community. And, and we see how it's impacted us psychologically as it relates to the medical field. And so why is there, you know, still this misunderstanding, so to speak, that African-Americans battle greater health conditions because it's inherited and rather than, you know, all of these systemic reasons and our relationship with 
the medical community over the centuries. I mean, I know there's a lack mm. of education, but there's also, um, yeah, there's just this, oh, well, that's because, you know, it's in their DNA. <laughs> and we know that not to be yeah. true now, but. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it, it, it would, uh, for those who are intentionally want to genuinely understand, um, we could start at a number of different points in unraveling um, the false assumptions and, and the misperceptions. But uh, when you look at, from a historical standpoint, number one, the intentional effort to systemically uh, marginalize a population um, such as the African-American community uh, through economics and employment and uh, segregation and uh, how through policies that have been developed to actually limit the ability of, of a population to thrive within the landscape um, within our, con our, our country. Um, you know that things like education, economics, um, healthcare, that's, that's all inter interrelated. Um, you know, in order to work, you need to be healthy. In order to be healthy, you need to be educated. In order to be educated, you need to be yeah. healthy. You know, it goes back and forth. And um, so when you look at those key areas and um, understand the, uh, through the lens of social determinants mm -hmm. of health, um, you can now, you know, identify uh, the health status or measure the health status of a, of a, of a population just by their zip code mm -hmm. um, because you know what... Uh, systemic structures have been put in place po policies and so forth that would limit that that area to mm -hmm. to be able to thrive and we talk about food mm -hmm. deserts and 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 those types of things so um you know it, we can go on and on but to look at a population as as we have been looked upon early on in the development of this country as a commodity um and not as an equal human being um uh, that view of, of DNA or hereditary, um, I guess I see how some of that has been established in some people's uh, psyche or, or mindset, but yeah, we can go on and on, but the bottom line is, is until, back to my earlier mm -hmm. point of systemic uh, inequities, until we, we come to a genuine and an intentional effort to understand uh, the impact of, of, of that and what we need to do to address it. And, um, you know, people are going to go on with their, mis their, their assumptions or, or mis, mis yeah. perspectives. I mean, with all of that being said, I, I think it would be hard to say what kind of support the, the African-American community needs the most at this moment. What do you think, if we could even pinpoint, <laughs> I think it's almost impossible, but. You know, that, that is, that is a great question. Um, and it is really the key question. I mean, we're, we're, we're in the middle where a lot of uh, organizations and communities and uh, different things that are happening are focused on the recovery um, and recovery and, but the recovery mm -hmm. to what? Okay, uh, are we going to miss the opportunity to really address what we're experiencing by just trying to go back to where we were? Or are we going to look at this from a root cause standpoint and a systemic view 
and decide how can we address or, or address these systemic inequities and, and factors to prevent or uh, them from happening again, but also to build the capacity uh, of a population and a community to um, neutralize the impact to, to whatever degree um, that crisis like this would, mm. would have um, from that standpoint. So it, it's, um, you know, again, capitalizing on the fact that this is impacting everyone, hopefully that, that, mm-hmm. that will be enough. But I think, you know, the empowerment of a community is, mm-hmm. is very key. Um, I always say you're either addressing the disparities or you're sustaining the disparities by what role or you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, when we say, um, for instance, an example, there is, a, you know, we're giving free mm-hmm. lunches or there's a, a pantry, a food pantry available and people need those immediate mm-hmm. needs addressed and even before the pandemic those those types of mm-hmm. resources existed are we asking the question why does a family uh need or has ha- is food right. deprived um what is that connected to you know and, and take a step further in addressing the root cause to that um which you know if we don't we'll just keep maintaining or sustaining mm-hmm. the despair but you know, having people feel good by their, you know, their giving and philanthropic efforts, uh, thinking they're actually helping, mm-hmm. but, uh, but not really. I mean, I remember somebody who ran a food pantry saying, being proud and saying, our food pantry has supported the same family mm-hmm. for several generations. And it's like, is this, right. understand what you just stated, um, that you just now uh, revealed that, you have sustained this issue within a, a, a family for mm-hmm. over three generations. That that doesn't make sense or a community. And yeah. that's a long time. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, something's not happening um, that should be to be uh, economically empowered, uh, you know, enhanced education, the different things that other community groups and populations do to, um, to be independently more in control of their way of life yeah. and quality of life. So it is a loaded question with a loaded answer of a lot of things, but I think, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, ran it's, on just, and on it's on a lot because you need the basic needs met, but you need to be able to then empower the, you know, a group of people that like the Navajo, there was um, a story done on some of the Navajo um, tribes that were not even, they don't even have water. <laughs> running water you know um and how are you supposed to fight a pandemic when you don't have when you're worried about where your water is coming from i mean so um right yeah it's it's and and in the united states of america like why is that happening you know (laughs) yeah still yeah still today right and i mean even you know and looking at my journey and your journey shannon i mean you know you're out of our three girls that actually uh after you were born you lived in a housing mm-hmm. project that i grew up with. shout out to farragut lived, <laughs> lived with your mm-hmm. grand grandmother as i was we were trying to get our our lives together and you know the purpose of uh, of of us living in the housing project wasn't for us to to, to 
stay there and have our generations behind us live there and their generations it was to mm-hmm. progress um and and that was uh part of the mm-hmm. the actual plan and, and you know god blessed us to be able to 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 do that but there are intentional efforts um whether you know through certain legislative policies and different things that are intentionally established today to limit the ability of of African Americans and and other groups to progress um, to a certain level of of empowerment and, and mm-hmm. independence. And, I mean, if we had another talk, we would be talking about Black Wall Street. Yeah, that's another episode for and, sure. You know, <laughs> so yeah, much. And, and what that that that's, yeah. that's a whole another yeah. episode. I mean, well, you know, you know, and bringing to that point, I mean, just and how it relates a little bit to there. I mean, they were self sustaining community. And with professionals and, you know, of every, uh, every profession was represented um, and, you know, predominantly, I would think 100% African-American community um, in Black Wall Street. Uh, and, you know, one thing that I have loved about living in Atlanta and experiencing with my children is that they're, they're doctors, they're dentists, specialists. Um, have been African-Americans and it's something I personally didn't grow up with, but this is changing. I see it that it's changing the mindset for them in real time when it comes to the roles of doctors played in their lives. And though they're still freaked out by the flu shot, but to just have that be their norm, you know, um, Mm -hmm. is, is important. And, you know, with Didi, you can't in the episode when she, and Alicia can't trust, like, will sit there practically on her deathbed <laughs> to like pneumonia status because she does not trust getting um, taken care of by a doctor. Um, you know that there's there's generational um, understandings, mistrust going on because because of all these systemic reasons. So I think that. Um, obviously going back to Grahaya and empowering, you know, those in the community to get educated, but then also breeding, you know, bringing up more doctors and dentists, you know, those in the profession as a whole, I think, how do you, you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, how important. Well, I will tell you, we, we, you know, again, going back to, um, the Michigan State College of Human Medicine, we probably have seen the first, the, the most diverse uh, candidates or students come in for this past year that I've ever seen out of the, the 10 years of, of, of teaching there. Um, so I know that there can be intentional efforts to diversify mm-hmm. the pipeline of, of, of students of color within um, within the the actual provider mm-hmm. healthcare provider field uh graha is also working on a grant right now with the area schools within grand rapids to not just diversify in the health provider uh position but in all of healthcare, um from a phlebotomist to medical assistants to uh, x-ray techs to, um, you know, radiologists, those, those types mm-hmm. of positions, um, 
which is there for uh, for as opportunities to to become part of mm-hmm. the healthcare continuum. Um, uh, but we have to start early within the K to twelve school system by introducing mm-hmm. and and providing opportunity for students to interact with um, Mm -hmm. people who look like them Mm -hmm. that's already in the profession understanding what they're learning how that relates to their would relate to their education or ability to to secure a position Mm -hmm. in healthcare, um, those types of things so those types of efforts are are starting to happen Um, at the same time on the on the flip side the the population that is predominantly uh, white and um needs to be uh, 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 the behavior, attitude, knowledge, and behavior needs to be enhanced to understand how to culturally competent interact uh, cross-culturally with different groups, how to uh, engage people who may have uh, these apprehensions or these, these historical uh, mindsets in regards to that, that, um, that -hmm. they have around healthcare and how to build that platform of trust that is needed for, uh, people to interact with the mm-hmm. healthcare effectively, um, so that's what 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 is happening. What we do within our role with the with the mm-hmm. with the med school is to create curriculums and provide that um, uh, opportunity to enhance that ability. So it's it's and there's there's other strategies that need to happen. So also. as as we um, kind of wrap it up a little bit, because I know we could talk about this for a long time, but. Um, how do we advocate for our, our health? You know, how can we actually trust medical staff? Well, I, th- I think, you know, the first is to become mm-hmm. more knowledgeable, of course. The more knowledge you have, the more confident you are. Um, there was a time when you would go to the doctor and you're you would not ask questions. You just listen and yeah. do what they tell you to do. Um, uh, today, with everything you could look up, when I go to the doctor and, and just interacting with the with the healthcare system personally myself, um, I, I, mm-hmm. I become informed. I think we all need to become informed. I think um, being able to look up what it is that your your you think your health issue is or what your uh, what questions mm-hmm. you should ask your provider um, from that standpoint um, so that you you can have this level of relationship in which they know they mm-hmm. need to keep you informed and not say well don't worry mm-hmm. about this just take this you know this medicine um, that that's important I think you know to your question around advocating um, I think that's very key I think getting more involved on the prevention mm-hmm. and wellness side um, in regards to lifestyle or, or what we're, you know, as, as a community, as a, as a, as a population, how can we uh, incorporate more wellness early on mm-hmm. within our families? Yes. You know, you know, people have um, understanding your family's um, mm-hmm. history uh, health history yeah. is, is very key, right? People have family reunions. They have a mm-hmm. session just on health and then a session on economics and different things of that nature. So again, yeah. knowledge is key. I think it's, 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 it's the one thing that if there's anything out there, um, we would be able to uh, support. I think the other thing is on the flip, on the other side of that is 
we need to understand data mm-hmm. and the power of data. You know, you look at the data that's coming out mm-hmm. around COVID-19, of course, and that raised their awareness around the racial disparities. Uh, my other side is why we need to look further into the clinical trials around right. the vaccine right now. And my question would be, what's the racial makeup mm-hmm. of those participating right. in the clinical trials? Are we being represented? Are, are, are we uh, part yeah. of that? Uh, I think makeup? the last statistic. Um, so that's that's part yeah, of advocating. I think the too. last statistic I, I heard was that African-Americans are making up about 40 percent of the cases being that they're 13 percent of the country um, making up 40 percent. Mm-hmm. And um, right. You know, in some places, 80 percent, in some places, 50, you know, it's higher. Um, But it's um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, now I I read, you know, now that um, (laughs) it's very American that when we're over being quarantined, that we just decide, okay, we're done with the quarantine. We don't need it anymore. Um, <laughs> so like, let's just be a little bit patient. I know it's yeah. been a struggle, but, um, I think at the beginning you, you hit on something about it, all us all working in this together. So it's definitely going to be a test for mm-hmm. our country. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, now that people are awakened, how are they going to change? How are they going to advocate for everyone? Yeah. How are they going to change? <laughs> yeah. And, and. And why is that important? Yeah. Um, the uh, the value proposition. Well, I think that you. So, I, oh, I guess. <laughs> now I was just going to say um, again. I, I think people should understand um, the, the impact or the, of social determinants of health if they want to get a real good view of how we how how mm-hmm. did we get to this point. Um, and, and what that is, um, because if, if economic inequity was addressed, um, how would our health and healthcare right. be different? Um, if our educational disparities um, uh, was addressed, how would our quality of life and healthcare mm-hmm. be, be different? So um, you, gotta, yeah. you gotta open the lens to understand this from a broader perspective and not people tend to try to make things very simple for themselves by just looking at one, one view of an issue um, and say, well, if we address that issue, then we are good, but it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot more underneath. So I want to thank you for having <laughs> Look me at on you your podcast. Look at me. No, I mean, no, so thank you my for opening one the lens on, uh, for so many and educating so many and, um, helping us to understand and just being a, a very strong advocate for your community, teaching us. And you're definitely going to have to come back with mom and uh, oh. Tarana. We'll all get together. It'll be fun. <laughs> It'll be a party. <laughs> oh, that, that will be a discussion. But thank you, dad. <laughs> Love you. Oh. So that was my dad. What'd you think, Tarana? I am so glad that there are professionals like your dad working to solve these problems of systemic disparity and discrimination. Given his expertise, his review of how Mixed Dish tackled race in medicine and Dr. Doctor was pretty positive. 
um, they should be feeling really good about his <laughs> his assessment of their episode. Maybe he could consult for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea how much um, your dad's company is doing specifically in healthcare. Um, and like he said, COVID has revealed what happens when leaders deny, promote, or ignore systemic deliberate inequalities that break down by race. Mm-hmm. This is not a black problem. This is an American problem. Mm-hmm. And while I am glad major media is stepping in, to cover an excellent detail. It's been really good coverage how health systems have failed Blacks and Latinos in the talk context of the virus. I will say that the media is also complicit in the protraction of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. This is what happens when, as I was told at major media outlets during my journalism co- career, do not pitch stories on race or Black stories. Mm. Then all of a sudden, something like happens like COVID and Americans are shocked. Americans are shocked at how bad the inequality, inequalities are. Maybe if they had read a, quote, black or Latino story in the mainstream press, then they would have known. Like your friend who didn't get why the virus has so ravished black and Latino communities. Yeah. Maybe, you know, um, you know, the, the media needs to be educating all Americans. Um, mm-hmm. so, so thank you to your dad. That was just my little diatribe because <laughs> I don't know medicine, but I know the media. And thank you to your dad who broke all this down so well and is educating others. I can't wait to have him back. Yes. And we, you know, we want, he wanted to talk to you too. So he, he let me know. He's like, let Tarana know. I wanted to hang with her too. (laughs) So we'll definitely have him back. And I was grateful that he took the time and um, it just definitely during this whole experience came together well. So thanks dad again. And with that, we'll leave you with this quote by Maya Angelou. History, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be one lived, but if faced with courage, need not be lived again. Peace out. For this installment of The Mixed Message, we're asking, how have you dealt with discrimination from those in the medical field? Send us a DM and share with us through our website, MixedLifeATL.com. Or find us on social media at Mixed Life ATL. If you want to be one of the first to know about a new episode, sign up for our email newsletter on our website. Until next time, stay safe and peace out. Mixed Life ATL is recorded in Atlanta, Georgia and produced by SDB360 LLC and Capacity Media. You can hear us wherever mainstream podcasts can be found. For information on how to advertise your business on this podcast, please message us at mixedlifeatl.com.